pockets up a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn fighting fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on. Contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slowdown, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today's show is all Carl all the time. Okay, that's not totally true. There are some listener messages that I respond to at the end of the show that aren't Carl. And some of these segments are not, Carl's not actually in them, but I'm talking about games that Carl's run. So we have some, Carl had some unboxings that he wanted to do. So I let him come on the show and do that. So I've got two unboxing segments with Carl unboxing packages he's received. And and we also talk back and forth about some things during those unboxing segments. And then I have two segments where I talk about recent games that he's run that I played in. One for High Colonies, which is a near-future kind of hard sci-fi game. And the second one for Umerica, which is a Dungeon Crawl Classics-based post-apocalyptic game. And after that, we'll get into the listener feedback, and then I'll let you go. So let's get on to the first unboxing. Okay, everybody, time for a guest unboxing. I'm joined by Carl Rodriguez, Game Master Extraordinaire, and he has an unboxing for us. Take it away, Carl. Okay, great. It looks like uh, I got a box from a company, Pelgrane Press. By the way, Pelgrane Press apparently has a distribution site in Gerla, Nevada which is cool. Hmm. Uh, the box is a that. media mail box. It's 11 and a half by about nine and a, nine and a quarter. Um, it doesn't, I guess it's media mail, so it doesn't have like a weight on it, but it's a pretty substantial weight. I would say probably about seven to 10 pounds. All right. So here we go. Don't screw up the stuff inside. Right? Yeah, yeah it depends me. how they packed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty well. I'm using a box cutter. Isn't it? All right. Uh, so no, no bubbles. It's a bunch of paper. That's good. Um, interesting. All right, so the first thing I pull out is Dracula Unredacted. Mm -hmm. Ah, Is that a a hardcover? Yeah, it's a hardcover book. Um, It's basically, so what I ordered was the Dracula dossier plus the the Edom files. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the cool thing, it's something I'd love to run one of these days, but it's like, it's basically the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker, but really was a code book or it has a, like a lot of notes in the margins as if it were like a code book for 
that this actually really happened and the British government tried to cover it up. And the Edom file is basically what they're trying to do is weaponize Dracula. Um, and of course it didn't work. So, so the three books that are not full like game size books are Dracula Unredacted, the Edom file, uh, Knights Black Agents Basic Field Manual. And it looks like that. The field manual. You know, did you get, was it double tap? I think is the. No, I, I have that as a PDF okay. somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then I have the thrill of Dracula, the two lifetimes of playing with the Dracula story. So that's like a, basically a nice um, documentary. The first, how the legend of Dracula and everything, not a documentary, but nonfiction on the first Dracula legends, where it comes from, all the reviews of the movies, you know, all the, the Hammer films and the Universal films. This is mm -hmm. what you would really like. Um, I did get the PDF so I could, you know, if you're interested. I don't mind sharing those. So um, I don't know if you read from PDF though, but it's actually worth getting the thrill of Dracula, you can see, um, since you like films and filmology. Um, Knights Black's Agents is like, or sorry, Eat Emanuel is like how the Eat Emanuel, how the Edom group, the Edom files are set up. That's the group that tried to weaponize Dracula. So those three books are not like standard size game books. There's like novel size and then the, uh, I guess, is that, is that A4 size? Is that what the size is? I, I'm not positive. I won the sizes. I, uh, I guess it's a. Uh, yeah. I, I actually that. have all, all that, that stuff. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I backed the um, Kickstarter back when they did the. Oh, do you? Oh, really? Yeah, the Dracula dossier, but so, you, sorry. so you've already read it all back in the day. This is the um, six by nine, and the books are six by nine. Yeah, um, but that's great stuff. Yeah, that's I, the, I don't know if I'd run it with Knights Black Agents or not. I'm not super thrilled with their system. I'd play it, um, but I if I was running it, I'd probably uh -huh. use something else. I'd probably adapt it. But, yeah, um, but it'd be interesting. I mean, I would I would definitely play it if if you're going to run it with the the. Um, well, I mean, I, guess, I, I don't mind the, agents. I guess the name of the system, but it's gumshoe. Yeah, Knights Black Agents is a gumshoe system. Yeah, yeah. So the other two books is like the Edom Files, which is adventures throughout time mm -hmm. from you know the group. Eight adventures actually, which is pretty pretty cool. Operation Edom, the top secret section of MI6. Um, on the back the last book is kind of stuck in there everything's in good condition considering it's just media mail nothing mm -hmm. too um we had some rainstorms here but it look, doesn't look like they got wet and the last one of course is a director's handbook from for Dracula's dossier i figured it'd be thicker but it's I mean, it's a heavy ass book you know um and the pages are pretty thick yeah the the um dracula and acted is a, is pretty interesting the way they yeah, it's totally. basically it's oh, the like novel was, with a the, bunch of notes, footnotes and, and yeah, notes that's in it. there. Footnotes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I definitely so I feel like I have to read that. And then mm -hmm. the players would have to do their homework because I would give them that too, right? Because well, there's clues in there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be it's it, a tough sell, right? Well, well, that's the problem. It's you, you really need to dedicate a group and it's not a a yeah, one or two session game. It's a so you're like, we're gonna play Dracula Dossier, we're gonna do this you know, for six months, 
or, or a mm-hmm. year, you know, there's a game it's like, to play. It's like what Andy Goodman has done with his group with Mask of Neil Arthur and something yeah, like that. Nature. Yeah, and, and you can jump around. They give you adventures, like, like you say, in different time periods, too. So, yeah, well, so that's you the can, yeah. I could throw yeah. in the Eden files for something like, oh, this this came up in at this year, and this might help you now, you know. Right, or or you can do where you're you're playing your modern day agents, but when something comes up, you can take a session, flash back, right. and right, play right. it as agents in the seventies, or play it as agents in the forties, or or whatever. in the as early as eighteen seventy seven. No, it's really neat. I mean, Ken Height did a great job with all that. Right. He, he really did. He, everything he does is great. But um, Yeah, it's really neat. No, I, well, it was I'm hard for me. Totally like, I got it as part of a bundle of holding originally. And it was it was actually hard for me to read PDFs. And I really wanted to re- read the Dracula unredacted. And I just saw it and shit. And don't be indulgent a little bit. It's okay, yeah. right, to do that as a gamer. Oh yeah, I'm way indulgent with some of the things I buy. I can't say where. So, I definitely didn't need to buy hard copies of the like all the yeah, old so Jack Kirby comics. Right. So that's my unboxing. I guess it uses the Gumshoe system for Knights Black Age Knights Black Agent. Um, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard for me. I'd have to play it or run it a few times. I think I feel like it's hard. Been hard for me to wrap my head around the Gumshoe system. For some reason, I know it's basically, you know, you have, if you have the investigative skill, you find the clue, you can spend your meta currency to get more mm-hmm. of the clue. And then you have skills that you roll a D6 and decide if you want to spend some of your, your points. And the points come back at different speeds of points for like physical or physical out in the world skills versus investigative skills. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really resource, a lot of resource management stuff. Um, yeah, I guess resource management is a, yeah. it, a nice um, description. And I'm not sold. I mean, it, it does handle investigations. So, you you know, you, you'll always get the clues you need, but you can do that in any game. You don't necessarily have to have use gumshoe to do an investigation. You, you know what I mean? Right. You, you can do that in other systems as well. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to try to see how, because usually you can, it's pretty easy to convert back and forth between, for me at least, from things that I've seen in Trailer Cthulhu to Cthulhu, you know, mm-hmm. D100 Cthulhu system, Chaosium system. So I wonder how hard it would be to do like Delta Green. I, I don't think it'd be that hard at all. You could, I, I think you could definitely do that, whether you do Although Delta they did, Green. Right, they did the Delta Green, you know, Delta Green, what is it called? The fall of Delta Green mm-hmm. using Gumshoe. So. Yeah. Which I haven't played, but uh, you know, it'd be fun to do to try to. Maybe that's a thing, is like maybe you should I should do like a one-shot gumshoe, see how I feel with it, and then go from there. Yeah, we should schedule that. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank so you. I'm for- looking for yeah, you've you've brought it, you've brought and played a few games. So I'm looking forward to when you I know you've been busy for work when you update your games that you played recently. I think you've got like two weeks. Work. Yeah, we'll we'll see how much everything gets covered. What to fit it in, but yeah, cool. Okay. Well, all right. Thanks for letting me unbox. Yeah, no worries. The Thanks Dracula for doing dossier. It. Yep, A- excellent. Even if 
folks, even if you are an interesting gumshoe, it, it's definitely worth picking up, especially if you can get it in a bundle holding or something. Yeah, even if really you just get the Dracula unredacted, because yeah. it'd be kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. So, okay, Carl, I will talk to you All later. Right. Take care. All right. America Game Report. So Umerica is a setting for the Crawling Under the Broken Moon hack of Dungeon Crawl Classics put out by Shield of Faith. Yeah, Shield of Faith Studios. And all those are really great things. Pick up all those Crawling Under the Broken Moon supplements and grab all the different Umerica books. It's all great. It's kind of gonzo, but you know, there's nothing wrong with Gonzo, especially when we mix it in with post-apocalyptic. So, what did we do with this? Well, Carl Rodriguez, the main feature of our episode here, ran a game. We ran the first session a couple weeks ago, and we're going to run the next session this coming Sunday. We had originally set up for four players, but only two of us showed up the, the day of the game. So, if you're free Sunday mornings... U.S. time, then reach out to me or hit us up on the Audio Dungeon Discord, and there's room in the game you can play. But America, like I say, is a post-apocalyptic setting. It uses the Dungeon Crawl Classics rules, but it adds to them and modifies them still. It's not just post-apocalyptic like Mad Max. There's still wizards in there and still magic and patrons and all the things you love about DCC. But it also adds in technology, it adds in some other things, which is great. So this session, the previous session we played, the players were just myself and Gabriel, also known as the Grill Wizard, who you'll see on the Audio Dungeon Discord. I believe he's, you may have seen him on Twitch or YouTube. I believe he's played with Jason Hobbs and possibly with the Dungeon Muser crowd. I don't watch actual plays, so I can't speak to that myself, but I can tell you Gabriel's a good guy and a great player. I love playing with him. So because there are only two players, we just picked each played two characters. So his two characters were, and I forget the exact title, and I'm outside with the dog, but it's like a Petro demon or something like that. Effectively, it's a driver. It's really Mad Max. And their special ability is luck, kind of like the thief or the halfling, but they recharge their luck when they're behind the wheel. So they, you know, the more hours they're behind the wheel, the more luck they regain. And then they can spend that luck to do cool things while they drive. So it's a pretty neat character class. The other character he played, which he kind of played as a sidekick, but it's a full character class, is the wild child. And this is kind of like a thief, but they add some more abilities in there with it. 
he can kind of go berserk and you know obviously it's based off the wild child there in the Mad Max movies. So he had those two characters. I had a warrior, a female wasteland warrior, and a male wasteland wizard. And they were they're more or less like a warrior and a wizard that you normally think of in DCC. So these were those were the characters we had. We started off in media res. We were captured. We we woke up, we're we're chained up and hooked up to some kind of wacky apparatus. There's this techno wizard there, and we have these, you know, not pipes, but tubes hooked to us. And this, I don't remember if it was glowing or not, but I'm going to say it was glowing liquid. It was coming out of these tubes away from us. And what, and the techno wizard's watching all this. The pipes end up pulling away from us. And he holds up these tubes. And he says, these are your souls. You cannot die, but you can feel pain. You will now race for me. Ha, 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 ha. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's effectively what he said. There was a force shield between him and us, so we really couldn't do anything. Basically, this was a setup for a Death Race 2000-style race. We, we had to race and entertain this techno wizard and his buddies. And, of course, he wanted us to win for fame and fortune, you know, obviously for him. And the deal was, if we win, then he would give us our souls back. So... We were transported to the start place of the race, which is somewhere out in the desert, you know, the great American wasteland. And there were three vehicles there. Two of them already had teams. There was a vehicle that looked like a Morton Joe's vehicle from Mad Max Fury Road, you know, with the two Cadillacs on top of each other. And that team seemed to be all normal humans. They seemed to be really military. They were wearing matching like black uniforms, berets. Um, the other team had a motorcycle that it, it, there, I think there were five motorcycles and they connected together and could pull apart so they could connect and disconnect together. Kind of like the motorcycle in the, um, death clock uses. Of course, everybody knows who Met death clock is from the adult swim cartoon metal apocalypse. And I don't remember how he described the racers for that. For, for the motorcycles. They, they're obviously motorcycle. You, you know, I, I think they were like crotch rocket riders, but, but I'm not positive. Um, so those are the other teams. Our vehicle was basically like Mad Max's Ford Falcon XB. If you didn't know, the vehicle that Mad Max drives in the movies is a Ford Falcon XB, which is a product that Ford sold in Australia. Um, anyhow, that was basically our vehicle. Now, these, the, the difference were like our vehicle had a, a gun mounted on the, on the back. There's like a, a little gun mount back there and stuff. But those are basically the vehicles. So, of course, Gabriel's driver took the driver's seat. The wild child was in the back seat. My Wasteland Warrior was riding shotgun. And the Wasteland Wizard manned the gun in the back because he had the highest agility. So he would probably be best back there. Plus, he wanted to be able to look at the opposing um, vehicles because he had a plan in mind. The, our Techno Wizard also gave us a... Th there were some first aid supplies in the back, and then he also gave us this duffel bag. And he said, each of you can pull two things out of the duffel bag, but only two, and they will help you on your journey. So the while we were waiting, the Wasteland Warrior reached in, 
pulled out a fishing rod. Yeah. The um, wild child reached in and pulled out a chainsaw. So there you go, right? Anyhow, the and we ended up pulling other things out down the road. I don't remember what else. Um, the, I don't remember what the other folks pulled out. The other thing the Wasteland Warrior pulled out was a big feather. This big, huge feather that you could wrap around yourself to do feather fall. So, or no, not feather fall, but you could wrap around yourself to fly, but it would disappear like after so many seconds. So it was real limited flight, like just for emergencies. But when we started, she just had this um, fishing rod. So we're there, and we didn't want to cheat, but we, we definitely wanted to get a, a leg up here early on in the race. So this big giant comes out and stands in the middle, and we have like you have like holograms of the crowd screaming and the other techno wizards there. So this big giant's out in the middle, and, and you know he drops the flag, and the race is on. Is soon now. During this time, I had told Carl my Wasteland Wizard was preparing Magic Missile. The other thing I forgot to say was all of our characters started at fifth level. That's important because at fifth level you get two dice as a wizard, so basically he gets to cast two spells each turn. Well, depending what the spell is. So he prepped Magic Missile, and as soon as the flag dropped, he cast two Magic Missile spells at the wheels of the Immortan Joe team's car, the military team's car. He, he cast it at the, at the rear wheels. And... Gabriel wisely said that he was going to wait to stomp on the gas to let the other two teams, because we're in the center, to let the other two teams pull ahead in case they were going to shoot at, at us. That way they would shoot each other. So I unleashed these magic missiles and rolled pretty good. So it was something like five or six. I, I don't remember how many, but a bunch of magic missiles went, just blew up the, the rear tire of this car, and it starts to go in a spin. At the same time, the Wasteland Warrior takes a fishing line and does a mighty, mighty deed and casts it with the intent of tying up the gunner on the back of that Morton Joe vehicle so he, he couldn't shoot at us. Well, she rolled really good, I, or I rolled really good, I guess. It was all roll 20, so roll 20 rolled really good, effectively. But what, basically what ended up happening is uh, a line came out of the fishing rod that was like a you know, like an electric line, kind of like the, you, you, you know, like one of these, um, I'm not saying this well, but, but basically it, it was a glowing line, kind of like the arrows that the ranger shoots in the D&D cartoon. Well, so this energy line comes out of the fishing rod. It hooks the barrel of the, of the rear gun on the Immortan Joe car, and it flips the gun up, hits the gunner in the face, knocks him back off the vehicle and because the rear wheel had been blown up that vehicle starts going to go into a spin and as it's spinning around Carl rolled for you know for the NPCs and the gunner couldn't get out of the way and the driver couldn't stop and he ended up running over and crushing that gunner so that team was kind of out of it the motorcycle team rolled kind of badly to get off initially and Gabriel rolled really good with his driver so he was able to jet ahead. So and he and I think Carl's using kind of like modified race or chase rules out of Call Cthulhu. 
But so so we we zipped ahead, and the wild child did get a shot off. He had a slingshot to get a shot off at the motorcycle crew. He hit one of the the riders. Didn't kill him though. I don't think. But we're off and, and we're in the lead. So we started getting ahead, and we got far enough ahead that we because of good rolls that we didn't really have to worry about the motorcycle crew. And I don't even think we saw, we, we never saw the, the other car again for that session. And the motorcycle crew was well in our dust. So we're, we're motoring along and we come across this big, huge wreckage in the desert. So for this race, there are a couple checkpoints. So we're going to the first checkpoint and the first checkpoint appears to be some kind of railroad track. We're, we're trying to rendezvous with the train. And anyway, there's this huge wreckage. It's like a, like an alien mobile gun platform that crashed in the desert. So as we get closer, we can see some forms there. And there's some, some aliens, three-armed aliens there waiting in ambush for us. Well, we managed to take them out pretty handily. I, the wild child took out one. I, I think the, tech, or the wasteland wizard took out one with a gun, the, the vehicle weapon. And the Wasteland Warrior grabbed one with the fishing rod and drug him behind the car. And then we kept going. We, we had some other vehicles, some dune buggies or something, get behind us and chase us. But they couldn't keep up. You know, the driver was doing a really good job. We did take a couple pot shots at them. And, and we finally got up to the train. And when we got to the train... Where Gabriel's able to maneuver, there's a big flatbed on the back of the train, and he's able to get on top of that flatbed, and that's where we ended the session was getting on top on the the flatbed in the back of the train. But it was a whole lot of fun, and you know hopefully we'll be able to get a couple other players and they can take over some of these characters. But if not, you know we'll we'll just keep playing. So look forward to that next report. Or if you live in the U.S. south the southeast of the U.S., you can see this now. If you go to go out now with the current gas shortage in the U.S. due to the, the hacking of the pipeline. You know, the gas stations are all backed up. You have, you're out of gas. you got people out there like Mad Max and the beginning of the Road Warrior. They're, they're out there with, you know, with cloth trying to soak up gas off the ground. You have people running around with, in leather chaps and pink mohawks. you got little kids with um, boomerangs. you got guys in pickup trucks full of gas cans trying to fill them all up. And the little old lady behind them, there's no gas left for her. Some of those things I said I've seen, some of those might be speculation. You can probably pick out which is which. But regardless of what's happening in the U.S., America is well worth playing. Show me. 
only goes to show that even the fearsome Frankenstein has a 100% red-blooded American sense of humor. <laughs> Carl, you have something else on box. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, one of these days I'm going to have to have my own um, podcast instead of piggybacking on yours, but maybe for some other time. But I, I'm pretty excited about this product. Um, it is from Monty Cook Games, and it's in a USPS media mail box. Um, and it is, so the box itself, I guess, since we like to do measurements, it is about 10 and a half inches wide. Um, 12 is like a one foot long. And the box itself is about um, the height, I guess, is uh, about three and a half inches thick. I guess it's the height thickness. I don't know. Okay. Um, all right. So we're going to use my handy dandy box cutter. Hopefully, I don't. I always, do you always worry if you damn it, it's going to damage the thing inside? Um, yeah, I'm always careful that I don't, but yeah, so. or try try not to. All right. So, um, hey, unlike the last last box, which is full of of, of just paper, this is okay. uh, got some wrapping in it. They have an advertisement for Forever Home. <laughs> I was just saying, it looks started. like a doorknob. Yeah, it's like a doorknob thing. Yeah, for Forever Home. That, I mean, forever. Um, but then here is wow. You can take that with you to the hotel. Yeah. Oh wow. This is this is a massive tome that comes out of here. So for Monty Cook Games, I've participated in their latest uh, Kickstarter, which was a remake of Tolis for 5e. Mm -hmm. it came out under 3.5, I believe. And maybe there are some conversions to Pathfinder. Um, but this is massive looking. Yeah, so, it, it looks like like a DCC rule book or, or maybe um, Astonishing Swords and Sorcerers of Hyboria. It's yeah. that, that size of rule book, folks. That, yeah, it's, it's actually an all-setting book because the choice in the Kickstarter, it's kind of, I thought it was kind of cool. So the Kickstarter, you had a choice to do um, PDF only. And then if you did PDF and print, you got both a PDF of the 5e rule set as well as the um, cipher system. Mm -hmm. But you chose one of those as your print product. So it has like an envelope of something in the back of it. Uh, the, the page count on this tome is 667, 671 pages. Uh, it seems like a missed opportunity, but I know, I know. Yeah, but but but, but that's that's a big book. Yeah, that's a big, and then it has three, three all, little ribbons, which I yeah. always love. Uh, although not not quite as big as the the core rules for five e. Well, yeah, if you do like the little eight four version, then it doubles the page count. Mm -hmm. It's actually a pretty amazing looking tome. The art's great. I, I've always loved the cartography that Monty Cook Games puts in. Um, I like their art. The art is very similar to other Monty Cook game things, like, uh, but with a more fantasy theme. Like you see that kind of art styling, like you see in the Numenera book. So, the other Monty Cook offerings. But uh, right. So, so for any listeners that aren't familiar with this product, do you want to give them the elevator pitch? Right. So Tolis is a. So basically, Tolis was like a 
when it first came out for 3.5, it was this massive uh, setting, both world setting and mainly a city setting. And it was like hundreds of pages. It came spiral bound. Uh, it was definitely uh, ahead of, I, get, I don't know, if you believe for world and city setting books, it was ahead of its time. So this is like a um, remake in 5e. And it, the little envelope had a map and a bunch of other handouts for players, like proclamations, maps, encounter tables, very nice, um, that you could do. Uh, city, uh, a big, uh, like a little eight and a half by 11 map of Tolis City by the Sea. Um, uh, yeah, the random encounter thing is pretty interesting. Wow, 100 and something, like 150 on the random enc different encounters that you could have. Mm -hmm. And then they have like little map, pull out maps. Uh, I guess if you were at a tabletop, uh, an example of like their publication, like the newspaper that you might get there. So it's like a medieval fantasy city. Okay. Um, and that's what the book is. It has uh, not just like street by street, block by block descriptions of things, at least a gazetteer of that, but it also has like mini dungeons for all the different places. And it has like how to use this book, um, like a couple of adventures to get you started in the city. And then what I thought was kind of neat is that they had like, okay, you want to run a campaign in Tolis. Here we have all these adventure sites and here what the NPCs and their machinations are. And here's how you could run a, a cool adventure path um, in Tolis. So, and then they have the locales already you know, mapped out, statted out. So, right, that's pretty impressive. Did did they, they cook Tolis city by the spire? Did do they provide any digital assets with that when you got it in the Kickstarter? Um, you, you know like, anything? It's like a um, you know, for VTT, like right? Yeah, those kind of things. I don't know. I can't remember if that was an option. I mean, I have all the PDFs I can DIY mm -hmm. my own VTT for it, right? Um. Yeah, I just didn't I know if they provided. Yeah, some companies might have been like an, it might have been like an add-on. Mm -hmm. Like I know, like companies like Cobalt Press, they could do an add-on um, depending on how well they do. They just include it, right? Um, so I can look cool. real quick. Oh yeah, it's not. A, I was just curious. Was... All right, yeah, I, I nowadays with so so many people playing online. And when you're mm -hmm. talking a big setting like that, a big thing like that, it, it saves, like you say, yeah, the PDF, so you could load it up yourself, but it, it just saves you a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big yeah, a thing that time, with, um, um, yeah, now I'm brain farting. I, I, I know Greg Gillespie, you know, Baramaze. Yeah. We, that's yeah, a big yeah, thing. He he's been catching, not, I, maybe not catching flack, but he's been so, some of his support fans have been making VTT versions of his stuff, right. huh. but he, they, there's been a push for him to offer that with his products. And he's pretty much a Luddite. He doesn't normally play online. So he's just never thought of it or done it, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. So you can do actually download the players, told us players guide for free for players. Oh, that's cool. Uh, um, and I guess there is, there was there is a GM screen, NPC deck, custom dice, handouts, handouts, handouts. All the handouts are, I mean, it would wouldn't be hard to DIY honestly because 
they have all the handouts as as a PDF. Okay. So you could mm-hmm. you know easily put them on. Um, oh, and the other cool thing they did is they actually they gave you all the PDFs of all the Tolis products from three point five, including all the adventures. And oh, they even said they cool. even like oh like if you really love Bane Warrens, which is like which is a you know one that a lot of people or Night of Night of Disillusion, which were two pretty popular uh, modules from that era. Here they are, and here's how you incorporate them into your 5e campaign. And you know that that is one good. So I guess that brings us to one of these days uh, we're going to have to talk about this. All these conversions to 5e of older products. I think that would be a cool topic to uh, talk about, and we could probably have some guests in of your other people who listen and participate in your podcast to give commentary on that. Yeah, that would be an interesting topic. I mean, obviously the the push there is for monetarily right it, which is why sure. we see that but but then we can comment does it work or not does it really mm-hmm. translate how much they change the 5e system right um right no, so yeah the there's definitely of, a good conversation there yeah off the top of my head not just tolis but uh iron kingdom just came out with one uh true dang just came out with one so right, right well not just true dang but they also um was it Cinebrew or however you say oh, it. Cimbarum just Cim- finished mm-hmm. theirs. Yeah. So Yeah. Um, and and you've got, of course, a lot of the old modules are updated. Goodman Games is doing the, oh, those, right. oh, that that whole series of updating the mm-hmm. original first edition modules. And and even if you go to the Watsi products, um, mm-hmm. right? So Tales of the Yawning Portal is all old modules that they've converted up, you know, back from A D and D and up through um um uh, Three, three, five. So. Yeah, we'll have to get we'll have to get some people that are they're a little more familiar than I am on to. Yeah, well, I'm pretty happy. It's, it's a very thing. pretty book. Yeah. It's a very pretty book. So thanks for for having me and letting me open it up. No, thank you. I, I love I, the smell. I really appreciate it. I love the new smell. The smell of new books in the morning. <laughs> so, so if anybody's interested, go and spell that for them because I know that's not a oh p t o l u s. There we go. City by the Spire, and you can get it. Like I know some people that we play with, uh, Shea Webster uh, was g- going to get the print copy in Cipher System. Right, so. mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So good. Well, Monty, yeah. well, I know Monty Cook puts out good products. You know, quality. Yeah. Pro- you know, they're they have a reputation for now quality products. I know Che's really happy with the the um, the Game Master book that Monty Cook puts out. I, I oh, forget yeah. what it's called, but he's he's got that he was talking about it before on his podcast mm-hmm. so yep okay oh, cool. the greatest game ever that's it yep that's it yeah it's a really nice set of essays from a lot of different you know people that we that whose products we run in the field so mm-hmm. best and, game and, ever and, and that's but that's almost like coffee table book right yeah it's a yeah it's more yeah. book you know it's a collection of essays on and how to you know how to to, I mean, we all, as a GM, you and I know, you know, we, we look for that best game ever. And, um, and Jason Hobbs is always, you know, talks about that now and again on his podcast. Like, what is the best game ever? How do you achieve that best game ever? Right. Very cool. Well, thank you for joining me for this unboxing, Carl. I really appreciate your taking the time thank you out. for having me. Yeah, anytime. Hey everybody, Jason from, from the Future here. Just want to mention that 
This segment you're about to hear, I did record a few weeks ago in the car. So when I talk about we played last night, no, that's not accurate. And then, of course, you'll hear the turn signal and driving noises. So, sorry, I was too lazy to re-record it. So, hopefully you'll stick with it. Do you remember that favorite game of yours? Who's the better killer? Let's play. High Colonies. So I got to play in a game of High Colonies last night, run by GM extraordinaire Carl Rodriguez, and it was a lot of fun. So High Colonies was a game that was out in the late 80s. It's a science fiction game. It's in the not too, too distant future. Humanities around in the star system. It's kind of like The Expanse or Firefly technology-wise. That's kind of what you're going for, right? And Carl's playing it with a feel of kind of like the Expanse because he's into the Expanse right now, which is fine. And um, it, it's it's one of those settings where you know Earth is totally polluted and messed up. You had corporation wars and chemical weapons and stuff got released, or bioweapons maybe got released. Anyway, so everybody's off living in in space on moons or they're living on asteroids, stuff like that. And you know, it's all everything's run by these major corporations. They're what do they call? I think they're called the Seven Witches or the Seven Sisters. The the seven big corporations that kind of control things and pull the strings. But it is it, like I say, it was a game in the '80s, and it had its own system, standalone system. And then it's been picked up by. Yeah, I'm brain farting here. The Columbia Games. It was picked up by Columbia Games who is most known for being one of the two companies that put out Harn stuff for, you know, like for Harn Master, the setting of Harn. There is a split in the Harn world, and there's a company like in Canada that puts out stuff, I think maybe with original owner, and then Columbia Games, I think might be the usurper, and, and they put out stuff, but they're the more popular one. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not up on all that, so I, I, I guess I really shouldn't act like one side's a bad guy, one side's a good guy, huh? Just natural human tendencies, isn't it? Anyway, point being, what Columbia Games has done is they apparently got license for High Colonies and they adapted it to the Harnmaster system. Now, they did that very lazily. I might have talked about this before, but, you know, they kind of copied whole swaths of the old rule book, you know, over and they plugged in their rules here and there. And there are places they forgot to plug in the rules, so it doesn't make any sense. And there are other things that don't make any sense in the rules. But, you know, if you're willing to, to fiddle with it, massage it, and try to make it work, you can make it work. And that's what we're doing. Because the Harn system's fine. It's, it's like a little bit beefed up uh, basic role-playing system. It's a D100 system. So it's like a beefed up Call Cthulhu game system. And, you know, the setting's fine. So... In this first session, which actually we played the whole venture in one session, I guess there's only the the one adventure out for this, and, and we played this. So, spoilers if you're going to buy some obscure game from obscure company. But, I, honestly, I would say go get a different space game. I wouldn't spend money on this because it's, exp- it's fairly expensive for all the typos and all the problems in the book. I, I, I don't think it's worth your money. I, I think there are plenty of other games out there that you can do the exact same thing with. But as far as this adventure, so we create our characters and we've got a 
lovable rogue type who's a fast talker and a criminal who's moved over in the corporate trader space. We've got a engineer who's developing psychic powers. We've got a pilot. And we got my character who's basically a replicant, like in Blade Runner. He's a replicant and, and he's played just like the one that um, is Brian James. I think it's Brian James. But Leon, the first one that Harrison Ford kills, he, he's a, he plays that guy basically. That's effectively my character. And he's even named Leon. So we were, were approached by the head of one of the corporations and we're on the small asteroid. I think. Yeah, it's an asteroid. We're on the small asteroid, and, and he and we get brought in, and he approaches. He's like, my niece has been kidnapped. You need to go find my niece. We got to keep this kind of quiet, you know, because you have the corporate espionage thing and the corporate wars going on. So, you know, we did it. So we, we, tr- tr- we go start tracking her down using computer skills and networking and, you know, contacts in the criminal world, all these things. And we track down her boyfriend and we find him and he is the a member of a band it's uh, I forget what the what the band name was it was it was like Satan's babysitters or something I, I don't remember what it was anyway the we, we track him down you know knock on the door he's in his he's in his little cubicle living space little pod he's he's tweaking in there he's high so we the, the engineer tricks him into thinking he won a trip to Flossed in Paradise and uh, we convince him to open the door and we push the door open, knock him on his butt, shut the door behind us. We start bracing him for information, trying to find this girl. And we hear her, or well, we hear a female voice in the other room. So we go over there and she's back there and she's not looking very good. And one, one of the things that goes on in this world and that we knew was going on in this world is there's a big um, bio, illegal bio um, I'm not saying this well there's a underground market for illegal genetic research and so what they do is they take humans and they they smuggle the these things in them, kind of like mules but they you know, they'll implant these things in the, you know, these bio whatever in the people and smuggle them around. Well, that's kind of, that's ended up what happened to her. And so, but, you know, we're kind of an amoral bunch. So, you know, we knock him on the head and we calm her down a little bit. We, the engineer is also an addict. So he gave her something to calm her down. And since they're sharing some drugs, they're, they got to be good buddies, him and the girl. And that kind of helped her nausea and stuff. And so we called our, our contact and said, yeah, bring her over to this club. And, you know, we'll, we'll do the transfer. So we bring her over to the club. And when we knock on the door, the, you know, we go to the front door. The employees are there. And, and the employee answers the door, kind of gives us that eye motion, like eye roll, like don't come in, like there's trouble. So we back off and um, start start running and we realized that you know they were going to kill us and take her so what we do is we reach out to the next corporation that's you know the corporation they're opposed to one of them and we and we make a deal with them to turn her over to them but 
before we can get on the MAGA rail, kind of like a monorail thing, to, to get over to where they're at, we get chased by the thugs. The thugs in this game for, this, for the corporation we were hired by are these human supremacist dudes. And um, so anyway, they're, they're chasing us. And it's kind of like in Total Recall, you know, the, the good Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where they're in the different stations and Mike Ironside and his thug are chasing him and they're shooting and they're shooting all these innocent people around him. Well, that's what was happening at the train station. And um, so the police ended up getting the thugs. We luckily got on the train, no shot fired or anything. And like I said, we made a deal. And the other corporation had their their police there, and they took us into custody because the videotapes have been doctored by the first corporation to make it look like we caused all the problems at the train station. You know, again, going back to a Schwarzenegger movie, kind of like The Running Man. But, and we turned her over, which of course, you know, she's never going to be seen again. And hopefully, and we, and the, and this, the game just ended at that point. So hopefully, you, you know, we'll get employed by that new corporation or, you know, maybe not. I don't know, but it was fine. I mean, we didn't do any combat. So all we did was skill checks and it's a D100 system. So it's pretty straightforward skill checks. You're all under your skill to pass. And there are degrees of success, so you could do a, you know, a horrible failure if you roll, a, you know, like I rolled a, a 100 at one point, and uh, which was, you know, so I fell while we were trying to get on the train. I actually tripped and fell. And then you can also get a, you know, great success. So it's degrees of success, but it's, you know, pretty basic D100 system, so nothing fancy there. But that was the game of High Colonies. It was fine. Like I said, I don't recommend the rules. I would say go pick up something else. I, I don't want to tell you to go get the Expanse book just because I, and I'm not sure about this, maybe somebody that owns the Expanse can answer this question, but I don't think the basis Expanse game gives you any ship rules. So that's kind of crappy. Um, yeah, I don't know. But you can use pretty much any system to run stuff like this. You know, you, you could use... Well, you can use anything. You can use Traveler, of course, is the, the obvious answer. Um, but you could also use Space Master, which you might hear about more about Space Master in the future on this podcast. Or you could use Battle Lords of the 23rd Century. Heck, you probably could run this game. Well, I don't know. I, I was going to say you could probably run it with Starfinder, but I don't know because I've never read Starfinder. So Starfinder might have some D&D tropes baked into it that make it harder to play a game like this. I don't, I'm not sure. I, I don't know enough about Starfinder to, to intelligently converse on it. But anyhow, that, that was our game of High Colonists. Okay, I should clarify that when we were at the train station, I said we didn't get into a fight, no shots were fired. No shots were fired by the PCs. One of the thugs, the Brotherhood of Man, I think it is, but they, um, they did fire, and they were firing... Uh, submachine gun like into the crowd and that's why the police jumped on them and then the doctored footage had us shooting into the crowd instead of him so that maybe that clarifies a little bit so we've since played our second session of that game and unfortunately only myself and one other player was able to show up for that second session so we had turned 
like I say, the, the girl that was a mule carrying the genetic material sample, we had turned her over to this new corporation. And since the player that plays the engineer turned psychic wasn't there, we said that she, he stayed with her, that they developed a bond. And since Arlen Walker of Live from Pelham's Wasteland podcast and YouTube channel fame wasn't there and he's playing Johnny Ringo, our pilot, we, we just said that he was still on the plane or on the shuttle. So it was just the suave criminal and my replicant. So the session opens up. We're standing in front of this corporate executive guy and he's like, well, you guys are wanted. You know, it's all over the news, but it's obvious that footage has been faked. So what can you do for me so I can help you? We went back and forth a little bit and we told him, well, you know what? The head of this other corporation, there's this cutout between that, or it's not even cut out, but this lower level guy that we dealt with that set us up on that job and was our person we communicate on the job. And we know he talked to this executive a lot. So we could go and grab him and bring him back to you. We could turn him over to you. And he said, yeah, that'd be, if you do that, you know, I can help you get off world, help you get set up, do what we can to try to clear your name. So they provide us with some disguises. We got on the monorail or Magna Rail, and went back to the starport. And we were kind of, we had them call the pilot and tell him, you know, that, that once the train got in the station to go ahead and fire up the shuttle, get ready to leave. Well, unfortunately, that drew some attention. There were a bunch of guards and, and these um, Brotherhood of Man folks over there, thugs, over there by, by the shuttle. But, it, you know, it was still buttoned up. So we, we were kind of wandering around trying to figure out how to get this guy to come out. And not the pilot, but get the, you know, our, get this guy that hired us to do the job, get him to come out. And, you know, once one of the thugs came over approached us. We kind of fast-talked him, got out of that. And we ended up interacting with a couple other people in the dock. And finally, we decided, you know what, screw this. We, and, and the pilot was kind of freaking out, and he kept calling us, and, you know, what, what's going on? What's going on? I see you guys on the news. So we decided, you know, screw it. We figured his phone was tapped, and we had a, even though we had some throwaway phones, we figured that they'd be listening. So we told him, yeah, there's these abandoned tunnels you know, off the Magna Rail line, and that's that's where we're at, and we've got the girl with us, you know. And so all the guards but one rush off and hop in the train and leave. And then we rush up, run into the, you know, to the office where that middleman, you know, that person we're trying to kidnap was, and there wasn't really anybody around. The door was locked, so Leon tried to shoulder the door open kind of discreetly. It didn't work, so he just kicks the door open. And they're in there with the, he's in there with a couple other workers. And so Leon's holding him at gunpoint. And the, this guy's still, tra Bat, I think Baz, I, I don't remember what his name was. I want to say it's Baz. But anyway, he, he started to fiddle his phone. So, and Lee, one of the things we requested was this, was basically an auto injector with some knockout agent. 
to knock him out, sedate him. So Leon, you know, reaches forward and hits him in the neck with this auto injector, and, but it doesn't take effect. But he, I guess, made a saving throw. So it took effect, but a little bit slower than we would like. So his, um, he was able to send activate his phone. And, but it, but anyway, he started going limp. So Leon threw him over his shoulder, kept pointing the gun at the other people. Then the other PC took the chips out of the phone, so we'd have them to turn them over as well. And we ran to the shuttle. The one guard was still out there, but Leon was able to intimidate him enough that he didn't shoot. He, you know, he didn't pull his gun on us, but he went ahead and put it down, and he stood down. We got on the shuttle, told him to hit it. We got out of there, and that's where the session ended. Um, so again, we haven't fired a shot in in this <laughs> in the system yet, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. So hopefully, will um, the other players will be there for the next session. But and, you know, it's all good. It, it, it like I say, it's a fun game. It's I. You know, I I mean, personally, if I was going to do D100 in space, I would do Space Master. But, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, you could do this with pretty much anything. But with that said, let's move on to the next segment. I may throw up on you. I think these things are pretty safe. Pander to me, kid. One tiny crack in the hull and our blood boils in 13 seconds. Soul flare might crop up. Cook us in our seats. Whether you're sitting pretty with a case of Andorian shingles. See if you're still so relaxed when your eyeballs are bleeding. Space is disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. Well, I hate to break this to you, but Starfleet operates in space. Yeah, well, I've got nowhere else to go. The ex-wife took the whole damn planet in the divorce. Nothing left is my bones. Unboxing time. Let's see what we have. I have a box here from... A Gray Rooster Sales. No clue what this is. Um, let's see. The box. It's a USPS Priority Mailbox. It's 12 inches by 5 and a half by... Oh, I just measured that. 12. Oh, by 10 and a quarter, I guess. To 10 and a half. It's a regional rate B box. Whatever that is. So let's see what's in here. Could be all kinds of stuff. I order all kinds of weird stuff. So let's get this thing open with our handy dandy Swiss Army Tinker model here. As I cut her on open. Didn't make a whole lot of noise there. Oops, what's going on here? That's weird. Oh, they've got this. So they've got it, the box, the inner flaps taped shut, and they have additional mailing cut up stuff in there. Oh, to hold in the the friggin' evil packing peanuts. Well, I don't know who these folks are, but they have packing peanuts, so that's a bad thing. Um, wow, I'm not really sure what this is. So let me try to ex extricate the contents without getting packing peanuts all over my house. Um, they do have it packed well, whatever it is. I'll give them that. It looks like it's... This looks like it's a board game. Oh, it is a board game. Well, there you go. That explains it. So this is a board game. 
that I bought. It's um, a board game by Worthington Games. This is a company that sells on eBay, I guess. A great rooster sales strategy war games. So this is a Worthington's game, games game. This came out a couple years ago. It's called... Um, well, I can't even see it. He really has packed this well. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. I forget exactly what it's called. It's a. It's about Custer's Last Stand. You know, the little bighorn. And, and they came out with this a couple years ago. And you can play it either two people, you know, one playing Native Americans, one playing the Calvary. Or you can play it solo. And it's got scenarios in here both for the Battle of Little Bighorn and also for Rosebud. You, you know, um... The, the battle prior to that, which, which, of course, Custer wasn't at, but if it had gone differently, you know, we would have had a different outcome, potentially, um, with Custer. So, let me see here if I can get this open. It's called, oh yeah, maybe it's just called Custer's Last Stand. Huh. This is um, packed really well. I, I give him kudos for, for packing it. I'll definitely put a comment on there about that. In fact, I may stop the recording while I unpack it because I'm having to do so much cutting away. I've got this real big, thick plastic covering, and then he has more bubble bubble wrap underneath. I mean, this thing is definitely... He went out of his way to make sure the game wasn't damaged in the packing process, so that's great. Um, but yeah, there's a, a chit and you know map and chit war game, so it's not an RPG. It's a straight up you know old school war game like Avalon Hill, those kind of war games. It's you know Worthington Games does that for all kinds of things, um, all kinds of theaters. But I happen to be a my dad was always really interested in the Little Bighorn and and the and the West, your your Prairie Wars whatever you want to call them, the, you know, back in the day, you'd call them the Indian Wars, but that's not really probably the correct term anymore. Um, so I've got a big library of that stuff I inherited from my father and, you know, still interested in, in research and all that time period. And, and this falls right in there. And this is a new game, actually, Th this copy of it. It's still in the seal, so it was, it was a, a new old stock, basically. But yeah, two players, you can um, do General Crook at Rosebud Creek, or Crazy Horse at Rosebud Creek, or at Little Bighorn, you can do Sitting Bull or Custer. So, and it, like, I, I'm not going to open it, the shrink wrap of the real package, but one to two players, three out of ten difficulty, which is good because I'm not the smartest guy in the world, victory within an hour, ages 14 plus. So it looks pretty cool, like say, just an old style chit and map war game on a period of history that I, I find really intriguing. So the next thing I'm going to open is a much smaller package. And this one is a, it's something little and it's in, in one of those bags from Amazon. Now this bag is much bigger than what's in it. It's eight and a half by, geez, 14 and a half to 14 and a quarter. But I can feel whatever's in there is tiny. It's, so let's open this up. Oh, it's a CD. <laughs> there you go. So this is not gaming related at all, 
but this is a one of the old it's a 1971 album from Gordon Lightfoot called The Summer Side of Life and, and it's got some songs on there that aren't on some, some of the other collections and um yeah Gordon Lightfoot of course the voice of Canada a uh, great folk musician great ballads and really put Canada on the map you know, in the 60s, with his music. Real national treasure for you Canadians. Um, so the last box I have here, it's from an individual, so I'm not going to say his name, because I'm going to open it, and I'm not sure what's in it, and I don't want to name drop what I shouldn't, but it's a pretty big box. It's 18 inches by eh, 12 inches, I guess, hair over 12 by 6, a hair over 6 inches. So let's see what's in here. And this came all the way from New Mexico. So let's see what we got from New Mexico. See if this is something I... No doubt it's something I want, or wanted, at the time I ordered it. But it could be just about anything, folks. Um, it's probably a board game, to be honest. But let's see what's in here. That's not necessarily locked in. So this doesn't use evil packing peanuts. It uses those airbags, which is great. Oh, no, you know what this is? <laughs> so this is gaming-related, miniature gaming-related. This is Warhammer Quest Cursed City. I missed when this came out. And so this is like... So my favorite board game, my favorite all-time dungeon crawl game is the 90s Warhammer Quest by, by Games Workshop. I have it. I have all of its expansions. In fact, I have two copies of the base game. But that's all getting pretty old. When the new stuff came out a few years ago, well, now it's five, ten, I don't know how many years ago now, but Silver Tower and Shades Over Hammer Hall, I bought those. I've got those. I did not find the gameplay nearly as, I didn't like the gameplay nearly as much as the original. I also bought the Black Fortress, which is the 40K version of Warhammer Quest that they did after that. But I missed. I I get. I don't. I get emails from work, from Games Workshop, but I don't open them. I'm bad about opening my email sometimes. And Curse City is the Age of Sigmar version of Warhammer Quest. And so since I missed it, I I wanted to get a copy of it because it's said to be good, and it maybe last in line. Um, although interesting, this has two or more players, so maybe you can't play this solo like the original. That'd be kind of a shame. Oh no, on the back it says Cooperative War Game. So, <laughs> so in the little, you know, the little boxes that give you the, the snippet, it says for two or more players, playtime, two to three hours a session, ages 12 plus. And then when you read the, the actual text on the back, on the same back of the box, it says cooperative adventure game for one to four players. So there you go. Anyway, I read some good things online about Curse City after I realized I missed it. So I went ahead and bought it. And, um... Yeah, I paid probably more than I should have for it. But, you know, it's a big box. It's it's a size, basically, the original Warhammer Quest box, you know. And it, it comes with some miniatures in there. I'm not a big minis painter. I like miniatures, but I don't really paint them. Um, so there's that. I've got tons, like, I've got tons of miniatures that are unpainted. I really need to just sell them all to somebody. I've got a whole line of duck miniatures that, that I haven't touched from a gentleman in New Zealand, Star Hat maybe. I I should know that. I'll I'll fix it in the final edit. Um, 
But anyway, so so all these games I've got, all these Warhammer Quest games, the minis that are, come on sprues, they're still in the sprues, and they're still, you know, unassembled. I've got Shadows Over Brimstone from Flying Frog Games. I've got everything, Flying Frog Productions, everything they made for Shadows Over Brimstone, all the expansions, the Samurai, the Last Fortress expansion, the new expansions I've got on order, the Conquistador and the um, whatever, the Viking one. I've got everything, but all those minis are still in sprues. I just use um, other miniatures in the place. I just replace them. Um, but this has a bunch of cards in here. It's got a whole ton of dice. Of course, it's got miniatures. It's got rule books, scenario books, and all kinds of tiles, like any good Warhammer Quest game should. So very cool. I look forward to playing this someday. Don't know when, but hopefully it will impress me more than the other entries in the modern Warhammer Quest series. So it's been as kind of a long unboxing, but we had some really good stuff here. We got Gordon Lightfoot, The Voice of Canada. We have Custer's Last Stand from Worthington Games, which lets me play some, you know, some of the Indian, some of the U.S. Army's actions in the in the West at the end, well, a couple centuries ago now, huh? But but in the second half of the 19th century, and I've got Warhammer Quest Curse City, so I can play in the age. I can actually have a game in the Age of Sigmar. So there you go. I'm gonna. Thank you for listening and putting up with my ex, my eccentric eccentricities, and close out the segment. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke put by your spouse But the operator screaming is coming from inside the house Okay, our first call is from Joe And he's calling about my recent Barbarians of Lemuria recap Yo, Jason, dude, sorry if my voice is muffled I got my mask on, I'm in the airport Which is weird, first time in the airport in a year and a half Gnarly Anyway, dude, that was a super fun session I had no idea you just put that together The day before You Or not even the day before, half an hour before You ran it, awesome, man It was a super fun session And yeah, just, just for a point of clarification We did not agree to <laughs> Let the Slav Or whatever, the Naga loose Um <laughs> we just decided to to let Zamorin do what he was doing. The rat was fully not on board with it, but not not on board enough to stop it from happening or to stab it in the back like he wanted to when he was letting it out. Anyway, dude, that was super fun. Uh and that just leads that could lead to so much other craziness. Anyway, man, great stuff. Peace out, airport. Hey Joe, your inaction was consent. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's that's fair enough. I mean, I I can't go into every detail in the um in the recaps, but that that is a good point that that you and Harn. Well, and I think I tried to point out that you and Harn started being suspicious of Zamorin about that time when you were talking to the Slorth or Naga. So yeah, and, and especially, do, do do you remember what Eric's words were when, when he you know with the wizard down in the basement? I, I forget what it was, but it was perfect. Um, but, yeah, no, fair point. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, and thank you for the call. 
Everybody check out Joe's show, Hindsightless, it's a podcast. And you can also listen to the back episodes of his actual play, Pathfinder 2 podcast, Wheel or Woe. Hey, Jason. Daniel Manskeep. Um, really enjoying the episode. We're doing all these unboxings. As I've said before, I'm a fan. Um, I believe that that hero's journey is actually on the appendix end, because I'm pretty sure that's how I found it. And I had read somewhere that that's kind of where they got, hopefully this isn't a spoiler for you, uh, got some of the ideas for psionics, because there's a lot of kind of mental stuff that goes on in the book. It's a pretty cool book, though. There is a, a sequel to it or a second book, but I have yet to read it. Hey, Daniel. Thank you for the call. Yeah, Hero's Journey is the first of two books, the other being The Unforsaken Hero, which wasn't published till a decade later. Hero's Journey is 73, and I believe Unforsaken was 83. I, I actually ordered both books at the same time, and The Unforsaken Hero showed up quite a bit sooner than the original book did. And I had recorded an unboxing for it, but because I hadn't got the original yet, and because the Unforsaken Hero isn't really fundamental to D&D or Gamma World, I decided not to include that unboxing in, in the show. I, I've read mixed things that it's not nearly as good as the first. I don't know. After I read the first one, I will read that one. But they're both behind the Death Dealer books, because I'm really interested to check those out. But thank you so much for the call. Everybody, make sure you check out Daniel's work at Bandits Keep Podcast and Bandits Keep YouTube channel where he has both videos on gaming theory and and advice, and he has actual plays. Hey Jason, it's Joe. Um, yeah, just recently watched Night of the Demon. Uh, unfortunately, I saw the 81-minute American release called um, Curse of the Demon, if I recall. Uh Regardless, it, it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I, I love the uh, the investigation aspect of it. Um, it uh, it would really fit into like uh, Call of Cthulhu or Eldritch Tales or whatever type of game. Um, really excellent stuff. And of course, M.R. James is required reading. Uh, I mean, particularly Casting the Runes is very good. And there's, there's another story that sticks in my head is, is Lost Hearts. Uh, Everybody should go read those. Cheers. Later. Of course, that was Joe Salvador, the creative mind behind Raven God Games. I highly recommend you go check that out. There's a link in the show notes. He does Eldritch Tales, which is an awesome OSR style called Cthulhu game. Or not called Cthulhu, but you know, a Cthulhu S game. If you don't particularly like the deeper percentile mechanics of Call of Cthulhu, then Eldritch Tales is a great way to go. He also is working on a sword and sorcery game that I've been lucky enough to play, been in a couple play tests for. It's turn, it's looking really good. I can't wait for it to come out. Definitely is a first day buy for me when that hits the market. M.R. James, yes. You can get collections M.R. James stories for cheap these days, whether it be on Kindle or you find old books. Highly recommended. Check them out, folks. They're really great. They're the building blocks you know, M.R. James and like Edgar Allan Poe, these are like the building blocks that, you, you know, Lovecraft and these other guys built on later on. You know, really great stuff. Curse of the Demon. Yeah, it's a shame because they cut some subplots out. It's still, you know, a great movie, but when you get to watch that 95-minute cut, the full cut of Night of the Demon, it's well worth it. Hopefully, I, I know you mentioned when we talked offline 
that you subscribe to Shutter kind of seasonally. Um, maybe Night of the Demon will still be on Shutter when you when you get on there next. It is definitely worth seeing that. There's extra ten minutes or so. You know, there's a, a subplot about a family that would fit right into any Lovecraft story. Pretty cool stuff. But thank you so much for the call, Joe. I really appreciate it. You know, I've been able to play in games that Joe's run, and he's played in some of my games before. And he's both a great GM and a great player. If, if you ever get to interact with Joe, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend his products. Hi, Jason. Andy here from Grizzly Peaks Radio and Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. And I um, teased you a bit, didn't I, by saying on the Discord that I was going to leave you a message and that I never left anything. But here's the message. So, yeah, John 4's Five Room Dungeons, really good. I found them pretty randomly myself um, a few years back. And great, lots of great ideas in there lots of great stuff but here's the weird thing man here's the weird thing how many dungeons are in there i don't know 40 50 80 i don't know a lot i used one dungeon for a session and guess which one it was <laughs> the sunken frigging tower i mean what are the chance of that both choosing one dungeon from this huge list and it turns out to be the same one Spooky, eh? Spooky. Andy, thank you for that call. It just shows that we're two peas in a pod. Brothers from another mother. We're on the same psychic wavelength, my friend. Isn't that a scary thought? Now, so Andy does the Expedition of the Grizzly Peaks podcast and the actual play podcast, Grizzly Peaks Radio. I highly recommend you check both out. Um no matter how silly actual plays are to me. I kid, I kid. You can actually hear me playing in one of his actual plays, Forget-Me-Not, called Cthulhu Game. I, I'm a big supporter, Andy's always had been. But yeah, I, I gotta admit that that book of Five Room Dungeons is, was really useful, and I'll definitely mine it for other things, that, you know, down the road. But it, it was super handy. But it just shows you now how much stuff is out on the internet. You know, there's there's so much stuff out there on the internet you can pull down, and it might not always fit cohesively in a campaign you're running, but if you just need something, you, you know, it, your game's in half an hour and, and you need to run something, the, the worst part's going to be picking what to download off the internet and use, you, you know, because there's so much out there. But if you just want to run other people's stuff and kind of, magically weave it together into a coherent storyline there's plenty out there to do that I, I was very thankful to find that but this next session hopefully for dc or not dcc for barbarians lamoria all or all my players will be able to be there because they're filing and get to the lost cigarette so that ought to be fun but andy thank you so much for the call i look forward to your next episode and i hope you're doing well my friend Fantastic interview with uh, Joey, Jason. Uh, I guess I actually ha I didn't do Ninja City, and I'm regretting it. And I'm, it's awesome that he's going to be putting it out on DCC. Um, uh, I guess we could have asked him what the time frame would be, maybe the next couple weeks, because uh, I looked right away, and it's not there yet. However, I did back the one of us, because I love, I mean, like, we. I don't know if we've talked about it. Oh, we talked about it the other day. I That era is so... It's the closest thing to post-apocalyptic 
in the U.S. that we've had is a Depression era. And I have I got one of us because I was like, oh, this is awesome. Carnival, Depression era um, stuff, Dust Bowl. I think I actually have a couple Cthulhu projects. So maybe that's the next, after America, maybe that's the next mini campaign. And thanks to Joey. Hey, Carl, long time since I've heard your voice on the podcast. Just kidding. It's always great to hear your calls. You always bring up some great points like this one. You, you know, I agree with you. I think the Dust Bowl and the, the whole Depression era, you know, in general, probably is the closest thing we've seen, at least the past century in America, to a post-apocalyptic kind of thing. You know, other countries, unfortunately, due to civil wars and whatnot, have had, a, you know, much more recent post-apocalyptic kind of scenarios. But we've been pretty lucky over here in America. But I think when you look back at that, for especially for an extended time, when you look at people stuck on just bare sustainment living for an extended period of time, I, I think when you look at that time frame, you know, your Depression era, we see that. And, and although there are some other games set in that area, you know, maybe some Cthulhu games, gangbusters, you know, some of the crime fighter games to try to do pulps, for the most part, it is a, a pretty untapped genre. And, and even if we're not playing in the Depression, using that aesthetic to inform our game would be really interesting. Um, and, and the other thing, of course, one of us taps into it, the whole traveling carnival, the sideshows, all that kind of thing, right? Which is really interesting and, and some, you know, it makes for great storytelling. Um, you, you know, think of, you, you know, of course, that reminds me of a, what was a scary movie at the time on TV, Something Wicked This Way Comes, Ray Bradbury's story that, that Disney turned it, I think it was a Disney movie. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot to tap into there. And, of course, there, there are tons of movies that, that kind of tap into and, and, you know, horror movies and whatnot that look at the your sideshows and your carnivals and freak shows. and But, but it doesn't even have to be freak shows, right? Um, just these traveling shows and, and different things you can do with it. So, I yeah, I, I really look forward to maybe doing that after America with you. So, great call. Thank you for that. And we're going to go on to the next caller. Hey, Jason. It's BJ. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed both your session recap and your interview with Joey Royale about Ninja City. I'm glad that's available uh, <laughs> to the rest of us since I, I didn't able I was I didn't wasn't even aware of it on the on the Kickstarter, but I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Yeah, that has a lot of cool stuff in reference to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, GI Joe, and the, the whole ninja craze that we all experienced as kids in the in the eighties. Um, I also wanted to say, um, I know you've made a few comments over the last few shows about the DC animated universe, and and I agree with you that is one of the definitive um, versions of the DC universe, and why, for the love of everything. They didn't take their cues from that in developing their their latest uh, expanded universe or extended universe in movies. I don't know. It seems to me that they could have, <clears throat> you know, if you think of the DC animated universe as kind of being a PG version of uh, of DC comics, why they couldn't just take that as its core and ratchet it up to more of a PG thirteen level with a little more sophisticated storytelling and and, and higher stakes for the characters and, and turn that into the live action movies. It didn't have to be a complete just carbon copy, but that spirit, I mean, that of, of, of that kind of 
the the theme and the tone that's kind of at the core of the animated universe. Yeah, I think that would have made for a great foundation for them to build their cinematic universe. And, you know, I guess, you know, Zack Snyder had other plans and we see how that all <laughs> turned out. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, great couple episodes and enjoy the discussion of, of all things 80 childhood, DC comics and the like. Keep it up. And of course, one of the best parts of the DC animated universe is the voice cast. And it has the most, one of the most inspired casting decisions ever made in the history of voice acting, which is, of course, Ed Asner as Granny Goodness. BJ, thank you so much for the call. Of course, everybody, that's BJ from the Arcane Alienist podcast. Great podcast. Go check that out. And I don't know that we can blame Zack Snyder for everything. You know, for example, Man of Steel is not a horrible movie. It's There are some things in there that aren't my favorite, but it's not horrible. I think Zack Snyder, though, is much more influenced by, like, Frank Miller than those cartoons, which is a shame. Although, to his credit, Zack Snyder did want to use Jon Stewart as the Green Lantern, and Warner Brothers wouldn't let him. A lot of the problems with the DC movies are interference from Warner Brothers. You know, Suicide Squad, the original movie, suffered from that. Of course, Batman v Superman suffered from massive interference. Justice League, you know, obviously the you have the Justice League that Joss Whedon finished after um, tragedy in Zack Snyder's family, and he had to step away from the project. And then, you know, even now, Warner Brothers keeps doing things that are, you know, questionable. And the bad thing is they have such great characters, such iconic characters, and they have so many characters in their stable, so many characters that we want to see on the screen that like like I like John Stewart, you know, uh, you know, this black marine who's a Green Lantern. I want to see that. You know, I don't want to keep seeing Hal Jordan on the screen again. Uh, you know, they have so uh, another great character from the DC animated universe. Of course, she was in the comics before that is Vixen. Vixen's a great character, but we don't see her in the movies. Why not? It's silly. Um, but anyway, they, they have a great set of characters, you know, and hopefully someday they'll get their stuff together. I, I mean, whether you like Marvel comics or not these days, and you like the direction some of the things they've decided to do these days or not, you have to admit, their plan with the movies, Kevin Feige and what he's done with the movies and that guiding vision... And we hear complaints from actors and directors sometimes from the Marvel sets. But, you know, that strong hand is, has been why they've been a success. You know, and the best DC movie, you know, is still maybe as good as the worst Marvel movies, right? It's, you know, we can argue that, but there's no question that Marvel just blows them out of the water in, in the cinemas. But that DC animated universe from the 90s you know, up through the 2000s, early 2000s, that really is, like I say, I, I, I've i got all those. I, I need to upgrade my DVDs to Blu-rays for what's out there. I don't think Static Shock's out there on Blu-ray, unfortunately. And, and I'm pretty sure Zeta Project is not out there on um, Blu-ray. But, you know, when you look at that, that co- that's a, it's a cohesive universe. It builds. You start with Batman, the animated series. You go up. You know, the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited are informed by events that happen in Superman, the animated series where Darkseid mind-controlled him, there's callbacks to that in the, you know, in the Justice League series. 
It's a cohesive event. The characters are well presented. It's just so well done. And, and, and I still stand by my statement. If the only superheroes I saw on TV were just rewatching through that series, you know, those, that cycle, I'd be pretty happy. I, I really would. Now, that's not saying I'm not going to watch other things because I am, but that is still to me the golden standard for cartoon or live action superheroes. I, I, I really think that um, they, they did a great job with, with the whole DC animated universe. So, but thank you so much for the kind words. Really appreciate it. And yeah, go. Pick up that copy of Ninja City. I think you're really going to like it. It's it's great use of DCC. Check out his other projects. You know, um, one of us is also DCC based, so definitely check that out. It both those are on Drive Through. There are links in the last episode, and watch Goodman Games. That Carl had asked in in his call, which one thing I didn't address the idea that you know we we weren't sure when the physical copies in Ninja City where we can get to Goodman Games. I, I don't think that Joey has any control over that. He, I think he, he said, I'm pretty sure he said he sent them, but how long it takes Goodman Games to put them up is going to be up to Goodman Games. But I think if you just watch their store, you, you know, you'll see they're going to show up there. Um, so I think that's all the calls. So we can go to our outro. Okay, everybody, that's the show. Thank you for joining me. I want to thank Carl for thinking of me when he wanted to do those unboxings and coming on my show to do those. I want to thank all the people that left messages today. I want to thank all you, the listeners. I want to thank Ray Otis for the art, TJ Drennan for the music. And if anyone has any feedback on anything, you can leave me a message on Anchor. You can email me at nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach a sound file to that email, I can play it on the show and make you famous. You can find me on the Audio Dungeon Discord. So if you have feedback on anything we've talked about today or something else totally different, or you want to do your own unboxing, hey, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so feel free to reach out. That said, I'm going to let you go. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you next time. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman and your moil is quite a tipper and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Train wreck!